0: theft through the abuse of power position or privilege this brothers and sisters is kenya's original sin dealing with national strongholds is just the same as dealing with family strongholds to deal with a demon you have to know its name you have to call it what it is it's not corruption it's stealing and as long as we glorify those who make their riches through stealing public resources we will never be free as a nation We must, God's people, we must rewrite Kenya's history. Greetings, Mavuno family. Uh, wherever in the world you're watching from, we are so glad you're here. Welcome to church. And you know, many of you are watching on YouTube. Uh, some of you are watching on Facebook. Many of you are watching on uh, on Switch TV and maybe other sources. But hey, wherever you are, we are so, so glad you are here. My name is Pastor M Mureidi um, Wanjao, Senior Pastor of Mavuno Church. And I just want to say, you know what? You're not here by coincidence. Uh, you are here because the Lord ordained that you would be here uh, worshiping with us today and we are so glad that we can worship together so hey if you're watching if you this if this is your first time ever to a Mavuno church give us a shout out uh, if you're watching on YouTube on Facebook uh, use the link uh, if you'd like to join our, uh, the Mavuno online community uh, use the link uh, that's on your screen right now just send us something sh- a shout out send us a prayer request we would love to pray for you and then just keep you informed about exciting things happening in the Mavuno family so I want to just just say that we're going through an incredible new series and I want to start, before I start anything today, I want to just start off with a question. So let me begin with a question. In your opinion, in your humble opinion, by the way, if you're home with people, I want you to just be able to interact on this one. If you're online, I want you to interact out to hear your answer to this question. Do corrupt leaders result in corrupt followers or do corrupt followers produce Corrupt leaders. It's like a chicken and egg question. Which one came first? Corrupt leaders? cause corrupt followers or corrupt followers, raise corrupt leaders. What do you think? Just shout it out to your, to your people you're watching at home with. If you think it's leaders, just say leaders. If you think it's followers, say followers. If you're on YouTube, just type it out. If you're on Facebook, uh, type it out there. Uh, if you're watching with other people, tell them what your opinion is. Uh, how many of you begin it starts with leaders, that it all rises and falls with leaders? And how many of you believe it all starts with followers? Uh, just make sure that you say, share your opinion. We would love to see. Uh, what you think. So so last week, for those of you who are joining us, for the first time we began a new series called Breaking Bad, Beyond Kenya's Original Sin. And we've said that to understand a nation's stronghold, you must understand its history. If you know your history, you know where you're coming from. Some famous man said that. And so we looked through Kenya's history right from when we became a corporate entity under the British to the present. And we found out that the national stronghold for Kenya is theft through abuse of power, position, and privilege. We said, let's stop sanitizing it, calling it other names. Let's, the first step towards breaking that stronghold is using the correct language. It's not embezzlement. It's not overlapping. It's not cheating in exams. It's theft. That's what it is. Those are nice words, but it's theft. And we said as a nation, we must take responsibility. As God's people, we must start to take responsibility for this national stronghold, calling it what it is. So today we want to start looking at the consequences that happen when theft becomes institutionalized in a culture. And I want us to read, it's an amazing scripture. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1 to 10. 1 Kings 21, verse 1 to 10. There's an amazing scripture, a story in that scripture. And it's just one of those where as you read it, you might even have seen situations like this happening if you're from this nation. It says, sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. Plot, (laughs) Maguta, Maguta. Somebody owns a plot. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Now, King Ahab was the seventh king of Israel. Last week, we looked at the first king, uh, King Jeroboam. And he had a palace in Samaria. That was his headquarters. The, 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 The city of Samaria was the capital city. But there's another city called Jezreel, which was like, like uh, a, more, uh, a more recreational city. And this is where he had his summer palace. So it's not even his main palace, it's a summer palace. And his neighbor, next to the state house, had a vineyard. A vineyard that the king looked at and thought would make a nice little vegetable garden for himself. The problem is that this man called Naboth was not interested in selling his vineyard. Why? Main reason is because God, when he gave the land, to Canaan, uh, the land of Canaan to the Israelites, he divided it according to families. And the ownership of the family plots was never supposed to be changed. God actually ordained that in his word. And he said even when they sold it because they got into debt, the land had to be returned back to the, the family that sold it in the year of Jubilee. And so it was understood that the land belonged to God. It didn't belong to the king. It didn't belong to any, it belonged to God. And God had divided it. And Moses wrote in the book of Leviticus, the land must not be sold without reclaim because the land belongs to me. That's what God says. For you are foreign residents, temporary settlers with me. The land tenure system was one that was based on a theocracy. Uh, God was the ruler. And so Naboth simply said to the king, ain't gonna happen. (laughs) It's, It's impossible. I can't give you this land. And so Ahab, the Bible continues to tell us, Went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite has said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking, refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. King Ahab basically was throwing a tantrum, right? (laughs) I mean, this is a grown man acting like an infant. At Mavuno's parenting class, it's called Lair. We teach parents that if you don't train your children to obey, (laughs) and not that they can't get whatever they want when they want it, then they will grow up into Adults. Who don't know how to curb their appetites. They'll grow up into adults who don't know how to stop themselves when they want something. I mean, this is so interesting because that's exactly what we're seeing in this scripture. Have you ever wondered why corrupt individuals always seem to want more? It's like you stole, but you want to steal more. And I want to say there's a crisis of parenting in this country, that we're not teaching our children values and ethics at home. And so we are seeing it when they get into positions of office when they get into political office that the lack of values comes to the forefront and that's exactly what we see in ahab's life here parents you have the responsibility if we want to see this national stronghold of corruption destroyed in our nation as parents you have the responsibility to teach your children god's word and to teach them not to glamorize theft but to teach them that theft is wrong jezebel his wife said Is this how you act as the king of Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and sit Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but sit two scoundrels opposite him, and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. See, Jezebel was a daughter of a foreign king. And where she came from, the king could do whatever he wanted. And so she was basically telling her husband Ahab, man up, (laughs) let me show you how a real king is supposed to act. She knew what the law said. And so she used the law to legally grab Nebo's land have you ever seen people grabbing stealing legally <laughs> grabbing something but they're grabbing it legally a friend of mine was telling me about how his plot was uh, right now is under dispute because somebody else showed up with an original title deed from the ministry of lands that has the exact same title number legal stealing that's exactly what Jezebel is doing she used her husband's executive power to pervert the judicial system, which is what we are afraid of in this country, that somebody will pay and bribe so that my just, the justice that I deserve is not what I will get. And Naboth was falsely accused of crimes that were punishable by death. And that's the only way, by the way, she could have gotten him out of the way, because she knew that as long as he was alive, she would never get that land. And so guess what happens next? An innocent man is framed, executed, and robbed of his ancestral land by a greedy politician. Theft through the abuse of power, office, and position. Of course, that would never happen in Kenya, right? (laughs) You know, currently we have four governors under investigation for suspicion of theft. And we know it's just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, Kenyans are not holding their breath. (laughs) Many, many of us, we know they're going to walk. We, We suspect they're going to walk. Because, you know, how many times do you see high-placed people who are accused of theft in this country actually get imprisoned for theft? You know, this, this thing of theft, this thing that we've baptised corruption, it comes from a, a process of mental corrosion, which causes individuals to selfishly collude against the general good for personal gain. You see, no one is born a thief. No one is born corrupt. It's a personal choice. And it's driven by greed for personal benefit. Theft is always carried out by individuals. And an institution or a nation is called corrupt when theft becomes such a way of life that it's seen as justified people start justifying. We're hustlers. <laughs> we're, we're just people who are trying to make a living, where we, we, you can't blame us. We are poor. And you know what happens in Kenya? People even pay tithe on the proceeds of money that has been stolen. That's how institutionalized theft is. I remember a little while back reading in the papers of a section of Kenyan pastors who are reported to, to be complaining that no politician was dishing out money to their churches as they had heard was happening in other churches around the country. So theft has been so normalized that it has become accepted as a way of life. Now, according to the witness of scripture, that's a dangerous place to be because theft has serious consequences on our people. That's the thing I want you to remember today. If you forget anything I say in this message, I want you to remember this, that theft destroys a nation. I'm not talking just about grand corruption. I'm talking about theft at the office. Theft of time, your employer's time. I'm talking about theft when it comes to overlapping on the highway. Theft destroys a nation. Let me share some some of the consequences that theft has on a nation. Number one is moral decay. Moral decay. King Solomon taught Proverbs 14 verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Jezebel's plot. That's exactly what you see happening. Jezebel brings reproach to the city of Jezreel. She co-ops the entire city hall, the entire leadership of Jezreel. And the leaders do exactly what she does, she says, without question. You know, her abuse of office corrupted all the junior officers. Nobody in city hall protests. Nobody stands with the innocent. You see, leaders who steal tend to pervert people and systems in order to carry out their theft. And you know, as they say, the fish rots from the head. So if there's a leader who's corrupt, the whole office becomes corrupt. It's like a cancer. It begins with a few cells and if it's not checked, it eventually spreads to the whole body. In Kenya, you know this, that during the President Kenyatta and Moi regimes, corruption as we knew it was carried out by a few well-connected government individuals colluding to steal public funds, what we used to call grand corruption. But in the second part of our history as a nation, under Presidents Kibaki and Uhuru, we've seen the decentralization of theft so that practically every institution is involved from police to military, government ministries, multinationals, small and medium-sized enterprises, schools, associations, homes, religious groups, churches, temples, mosques, the Daily Nation of 3rd July 2021. <laughs> it reported, I think it was 30, 3rd June, it reported that three-tenths of civil servants in Kenya, my goodness, up to 250,000 people, probably use false certificates, fake certificates, to get employment. What is that? a third out of one, two, three, fake? One, two, three, fake. Young people are being instructed from school on how to be corrupt. When they see unexplained wealth at home, when they see their parents driving cars that they cannot justify how they own them, when they see their parents helping them to cheat in exams, what hope is there for our nation? You know, a little while back, I had the leaders of a multinational company approach me to do some training for their employees. And I mean, they sat in my office and I could tell they were not even, most many of them were not even Christians. Some of them uh, were different religions. And I say to them, but you do know, as you asked me to do this, I'm a pastor. And they said, precisely, that's actually where we are asking you to do this training. Because they told me and they went on to explain to me that their problem was not efficiency or motivation, but Ethics the young people in the office had become such crooks so good at stealing the new generation that was coming into employment is so such such smart <laughs> the heists that were going on every day uh, they could the c- corporates are embarrassed to admit how much money is being stolen by their workforce and personal relationships were a mess people stealing each other's husbands and girlfriends and they said you know we we've tried we've brought training we've done all kinds of important things none of these things are working we've realized we they just need god and you know i think they were onto something because they realized the problem was a spiritual problem we have opened the door to the enemy as a nation and we've given the enemy the legal rights to oppress the next generation that's what a stronghold is and theft today has become so institutionalized that even when you hire new corrupt, new, new officials because you fired the last ones, the new ones come to figure out ways to steal. And so basically this happens in government. It happens in police force. It happens everywhere. You bring in new people and they're always just figuring out the newest way to make a, to make a living, to steal beyond their salary. Unless we do something soon, Kenyans, this nation will implode from within. This is moral rot. The first thing, the first consequence, the country rots from inside. Number two, the second consequence of stealing. Remember, theft destroys a nation. Number two is lost potential. Lost potential. At independence, you know the story. Kenya was at par with countries like Singapore and Korea. But with time, we began to fall behind and now we are way far behind. Why? Largely because those in leadership continued with that colonial mentality that they inherited of theft through the abuse of power, position, and privilege. And today it's estimated that the government loses 30% of its annual budget because of theft. I mean, that's incredible. A third of the money that comes in is stolen. And the result is we never have enough to meet our budget. We always have a deficit in our budget. So we have to borrow money in order to to, to meet the the budget uh, gap. And then guess what happens? When the money is borrowed, it's then not even safe because it's still at risk of being stolen. You know the way I think of it? It's like I come to you, and then I steal from you, and then I decide, because the money I stole from you is missing, I take your logbook, I go to a bank, (laughs) I borrow money to replace the money I stole from you, and then I steal that money again. And then I walk away and leave you and your children to pay for the money I stole and the money I borrowed then stole. That's exactly what is happening in Kenya today. And we see all these bonds being floated, and all these Euro bonds, and all this uh, borrowing. You know, it's interesting because they say, and our current government, we've gone from owing about 2 billion, 2 trillion shillings, 1.8 trillion shillings under the Kibaki administration. Today we owe 7 trillion. It's mind boggling, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, the mind conf- refuses to compute those figures. You know, the Bible says, this is a simple truth, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. We're becoming slaves. Today our petrol prices, And our wages, our civil service wages, are not determined by our government, by the leaders of this nation. They're determined by the IMF. Why? Because we are slaves. We're we're willingly selling ourselves into slavery. The deal to build, the biggest infrastructure deal, the biggest uh, financial deal in, in Kenya's history, the SGR. It's so interesting that it's shrouded in mystery. Until today, we don't know what the government pledged as collateral for us to have that SGR. I mean, it's like somebody, you know, the government doesn't own anything. What basically they do when they take a loan like that is they're pledging the taxes, the the taxes present and future taxes of who? Of Kenyans. Your money is what is pledged. And then you have no idea what was pledged, what national things were given in order for us to be in bondage to that slavery. And here's a question I want to say. You know, Gandhi said, and I, I think here's the thing. I really believe God's people. God has blessed this country. I don't know how many of you believe that. Kenya is a blessed country. You know, you can get depressed hearing this message. But we live in a blessed country. Gandhi said, this country has enough for everyone's need, but not for anybody's greed. And I believe that's the truth. You know, Solomon said in Proverbs 29 verse 4, By justice, a king gives a country stability, but the one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. So listen to me, theft destroys a nation. Number three, third consequence of stealing. So we're just looking at the consequences of theft, right? And the, the third one is dehumanization and death. John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life. You see, the truth of the statement is that if you look at someone like Jezebel and you will see exactly what this means. Jezebel versus Naboth, third case. For thieves to thrive they must kill and destroy. For them to be able to, steal, to, to, to get what they need, they must kill and destroy. And to do this, they have to dehumanize other people. So guess what? She takes an innocent man and she makes him accused of things he had never done. And this is exactly what happens. Crooked leaders in our country, they promote divisions. They, 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 they accuse other people of things they haven't done. Look at those people, they're not like us. Look at that tribe, they're here to steal our land. And they turn us against each other. And there's tribalism and all these other isms where they negate the humanity of others to justify their positions and their power. They've divided our nation into competing tribal interests, which we saw in 2007. We saw what the consequences of this inflammation is. And right now, as we're heading towards 2022, guess what? It's happening again. Today, most Kenyans still tremble when we approach an election year. And of course, we have a history of political assassinations as part of our heritage, stealing automatically comes with killing and destroying. The thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, here's the thing. It's not just destroying of lives, it's not just people dying, but it's destroying dignity. The poor are affected by theft, guys. The rich and middle class can afford private hospitals and private schools, but when public resources are stolen, the ones who can least afford it are the ones who are left suffering. I remember one time talking to a uh, an official who told me, Kenya has so much land. When we were talking about land grabbing, he was a land official. He says, Kenya has so much land, we can never finish it. But guess what? This thinking, this victimless crime, that's what we think corruption is. You're not stealing from anybody. We're actually stealing from our children and our future. And when you see the poor state of health care or housing or education in our slums, you're seeing the consequences of decades of theft in our nation. What we don't realize when we are corrupt is that we are stealing from ourselves and that we are sowing the seeds of destruction for our children. Those in power must begin to understand, even if for selfish reasons, that securing the peace and prosperity for the masses is the surest way of protecting the wealth of the elite. I mean, who are you stealing that money for if your children will never enjoy it or live in safety in their own country? King Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 14, mark my words if you're in leadership, the best insurance for a leader's longevity is to demonstrate justice for the poor. Theft destroys a nation. The third con- that, that's a third consequence. Let me finish with the fourth consequence, which is God's judgment. God's judgment. You know, in the chapter, we see the prophet Elijah confronting Ahab. You know, this, this for me is the biggest consequence and the one we should be afraid of the most. Elijah confronts Ahab and informs him that God would judge him and his family harshly. He and his wife, Queen Jezebel, the Bible says they would die violent and, 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 and undignified deaths. Basically, her body would be eaten by dogs. That's what he was told. I mean, it's like you're going, to eat, you're going to have the worst death imaginable. And he said, your whole family will be wiped out. God does not take this theft lightly. Ultimately, the whole nation of Israel will be led into captivity to other nations. Israel will be wiped out. By the way, the Israel we, we call Israel is not Israel. It's actually the, the nation of Judah that survived. Israel was completely wiped out. When you read the story in the New Testament and you read about the Samaritans, the Samaritans were actually what happened to Israel because their land was given away and other tribes came and settled there and intermarried with a few survivors and that's the Samaritans. In other words, Israel was completely wiped out by God's judgment. Do you believe... The, that, that we, we sometimes lack a fear of God in this nation. We do not know that God can actually wipe out this nation because of our sin. The nation that God had freed from captivity to Assyria, from Egypt, because there were slaves in Egypt. Remember when God took them out, now they took themselves willingly into captivity, into slavery to the nation of Assyria. God's judgment is something that we must be aware of in this nation. There's a great quote by a Russian philosopher and writer, His name was Ayn Rand, and he wrote this quote. He says, when you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing. When you see that money is flowing to those who deal not in goods, but in favors. When you see that men get richer by graft and by pool than by work, and your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you. When you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. And that's a fate that awaits our nation. You know, our ancestors, they gave up their lives to fight for freedom from the British thieves who had come to steal, to kill, to destroy. I believe that in the minds of our ancestors, they saw a nation, they had a dream, a dream of a nation where wealth and prosperity would exist for their children. A dream of a nation where education would not be something for the wealthy, but something all the children of this nation had. A dream where peace and liberty and freedom from oppression was the right Of every one of their descendants a dream of health and dignity where the poor wouldn't die because they couldn't afford basic health care a dream of food security where none of their children would die hungry would sleep hungry a dream of wealth and prosperity this is what they dreamed of but you know it's interesting because we took on the colonial bondage of theft and now We're willingly enslaving ourselves to so-called donor nations, both from the East and from the West. And we are selling the generations that follow us into captivity. We are guaranteeing that we will never achieve and our children will never achieve the things that our ancestors fought for, the things that they gave their lives for, the things that they suffered for and died for, that they would see in this nation. We are guaranteeing that we who are fought for, that we'll be broken out of slavery and colonialism. We are selling ourselves back into slavery to the Chinese, to the British, to the European Union, to the Americans and to other donor nations. And now we remain colonized, undignified, our children looking for green cards to go and live in other nations, to go and work for other nations, to go and enrich other nations. And we continue to admire. It's it's such a, a warped situation. We admire the ones who get those cards and go and live in those countries and pay taxes to others. You see, every time we engage in stealing God's people, we are calling our curse down upon ourselves. We are selling our children into slavery because theft destroys a nation. I don't know if I can say this too much, people. (sighs) We need to ask ourselves this question. Is it too late for us? Can this nation change? Are we a failed state destined for destruction? And I want to answer that question by saying no. No, we are not. I believe in Israel The Bible tells us that there were 700 prophets, righteous prophets, who refused to to bow their knee to bow. They made the resolution that no matter what, they would not compromise their faith. They made the resolution that they would not go with the flow. That they would not do what everybody else was doing. And because of them, the nation was saved in the time of Elijah. And I believe in Kenya, just like in Israel, there is a righteous remnant. There are some of you who are watching this broadcast who have refused to bribe. You have refused to to live that life of corruption. I see people in the highway who refuse to overtake illegally. I see people who go into the slow line and wait for their turn, even as others cut, and people call you foolish But you know inside, you've made the resolution that I will live a righteous life. And I want to bless God for every single one of you who have made that commitment. You are the righteous ones. And you are the reason this nation exists today, that God has not judged our nation. And I believe God is merciful. And I believe we still have an opportunity to turn this nation around. In fact, I believe the COVID-19 crisis is is a great opportunity for us to refuse to go back to the, to the old normal, to refuse to be divided by corrupt politicians, to elect leaders who have a, a record of integrity and order. Now next week, we're gonna start looking at what we must do. Starting with us as individuals, what must I do? And then looking at us as a nation, what must we do? We start asking those questions. And I believe God has some great answers for us in his word, Kenya can be saved. But you know, today I want us to end with another prayer, a freedom prayer. And this prayer is for those of you who are listening to this, who will say like those people, those righteous prophets, I refuse to be part of this corrupt environment. I refuse to do what my friends are doing. I refuse to steal exams. I refuse to be that person who gives a bribe. I would rather my car is towed I would rather be inconvenienced. I refuse to be part of this system. And if this is you, you're one of those who says, Lord, I want to be one of those righteous. Lord, give me your help because I want to stand for you. Then this is your prayer. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, your word says in Proverbs 10. I want us to say it together. Let's say it together. Dear Lord, your word says in Proverbs 10, let's pronounce it, that he who walks in integrity Walk securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. I understand, Lord, that theft destroys a nation and that my own participation in taking moral shortcuts, however small, plays into this demonic stronghold. And so let's say it together, and so, and so, Lord, I choose to renounce all corrupt ways. In all my dealings, whether at home, at school, at work or in society, I choose to take the way of integrity and not to bow down to the demons of theft, even when no one else can see. I pray that I will be known in the generations to come as a person who walked with integrity because of their faith in God. You have said in 2 Chronicles 7-4, let's say it together, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And so Father, we humble ourselves before You. We ask You to hear from heaven and forgive our sins. May this stronghold end with us. May our children grow up in a society that stands for integrity, honesty and hard work. Heal our land, Lord, for we ask all this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And all God's people say, Amen.